Warning, this episode contains foul language and mentions of drug use, religion, and ingestion of bodily fluids. for all things strange and unusual, chemical and physical, mystical and magical, and everything in between. Each week we have the distinct pleasure of hanging out and chatting about something weird. And this week we are still obsessing over alchemy. Last week we taught you what alchemy was. I should say it like you. Alchemy (laughs) was. And this week we're taking a look at some notable people and moments throughout the history of this strange, strange scientific spirituality. Some of these folks might surprise you. And some of them you'll be like, oh yeah, that checks out. That makes sense. So brush up on your theoretical science, put on your gloves and your safety glasses, and get ready to shout Eureka! My name is Ashley, and this is my co-host, Lauren. Hello, weirdos. Alchemy is back. Alchemy. Alchemy. Yeah, which I just want to stress. I knew nothing about until I researched this episode. So Same. <laughs> I Same. want everyone Same. to feel... Like, they're on my level. Right. If you're like, I didn't know what that was. I didn't either. Okay? And I'm pretty into this woo-woo shit. And I didn't know what alchemy was. Honestly, you made me feel better saying you learned a lot, too, because I agree with that statement. Like, if it's going to be in the woo-woo world, like, most likely Ashley has... You know, she has her finger on the pulse. She knows. I've read a she lot of knows books. what's happening. Okay. Yeah, she's educated herself. So when you said this has also been a learning moment for you, I felt a lot better and excited that we kind of got to discover this together. It's yeah. been a fascinating journey. Oh my gosh. It really has. I actually was talking to listener Chris Navarez the other day, and he was saying uh, he won a t shirt in our Halloween giveaways, which, by the way, guys, check your DMs. We have DM'd everyone who's a winner. Um, Well, actually, we haven't DM'd everyone that's a winner because I have to kind of get through the first round and then I'll DM a few more people because I think we have two more shirts to give away. But, anyways, I was talking to Chris. And he said to me, thanks. You guys are so awesome. I love the show. I've been listening since the beginning. I have gray hair in my beard. And I didn't have that when I started listening to you guys. (laughs) And I thought that was so sweet. And I was like, oh, my God, you've grown with us. I've got new wrinkles since we started. So (laughs) new wrinkles, some gray hairs growing with us every step of the way. Or hopefully that gray hair isn't because you're so stressed out by the truths that we have revealed through the show. We're going to say it's just aging with us gracefully. Yeah, we're going to say we're, we're aging gracefully here. <laughs> it's fine. So today we're going to go kind of back and forth with each other. We've brought some notable people throughout the history of alchemy. I'm going to start because one fella we absolutely need to talk about when it comes to alchemy, may come as a surprise to you, um, you know, unless you heard last week's episode because we did mention him, Sir Isaac Newton. 
Mr. Gravity himself. (laughs) Mr. Gravity. That's what I (laughs) love about it. Mr. Gravity was doing alchemy behind the scenes when nobody could see. It's so fun. No one knew for hundreds of years. Obsessed. Uh, Isaac Newton, as a refresher for those of us who aren't history buffs, he was an English mathematician and physicist who developed a calculus, which we still use today, the laws of motion, which we still use today, the theory of gravity, which we still use today. Um, He developed the first practical reflecting telescope. He developed the theory of color based on what a prism does to white light. The first theoretical calculation of the speed of sound. The dude was a genius. When you hear these things, are you just like, why wasn't my brain wired this way? Yeah. Well, I was just born with mashed potatoes in there. Mashed potatoes. And then I just have guacamole. Like this. <laughs> it's definitely a food stuff. Right. That's like how 80% of what I think about. Some people are just built different, as they Maybe say. Maybe she's just born like, with it. Maybe, maybe it's gravity. I was just going to say that. No. It's like, do I say maybe it's alchemy? No, maybe it's gravity <laughs> is better. <laughs> no, alchemy is better because that's what this episode's about. Anyway. That's right. Newton was also a devout Christian. He served two terms as a member of parliament for the University of Cambridge and was knighted by Queen Anne. In 1705, he was a pioneer of the Age of Enlightenment, which was a period of time known for its rigorous scientific and political discourse. And many, many years after his death, we discovered he was also into the occult. Booyah! Mm -hmm. Suck it, King Obsessed. Charles, I don't know who to tell the suck it, but (laughs) suck it. Suck it, it, everyone, honestly, (laughs) because we always talk about the shit of like... I don't know. You can't be into the occult, but also be into and be smart just... and intelligent. Right. It's like, <laughs> well, guess what? No, so actually, who's like the smartest down. person ever. So sit down, everybody. So when Isaac Newton died in 1727, he left behind no will, but an enormous stack of papers. The papers included his correspondences to various people, a lot of them in the scientific community, Notes and manuscripts, literally 10 million words, enough work to fill up roughly 150 novel-length books, all unpublished works. Damn. Pages and pages and pages of unpublished scientific and mathematical brilliance, and also the occult. What? Turns out Newton's heir, John Conduit, who is the husband of his half-niece, Catherine Barton, please note that she was not his heir, it was her husband, because we all know women don't know how to own things. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that got me. He, John, feared that one of the forefathers of Enlightenment would be revealed as an obsessive heretic, so he hid his work for hundreds of of years very few people even saw his work and it was only in the 1960s that some of his papers were even published whoa okay wild so wild what at the same time that he was trying to find proof of his theory of gravity he was also studying things like the ancient egyptians because he believed that they actually had figured it out long before him uh, just based on the history that he read about them, the hieroglyphs, their structures, he thought they had figured it out. So he was looking for clues within their history, their writings, 
Um, and even, like I said, their structures like the Great Pyramid of Giza to find the information he was missing, to figure out what was that thing that he just wasn't finding in his right. modern day it's studies. missing piece. What do I need? So, yeah, if anyone gets a little too high on their horse and tries to shame you for being interested in the mystical mysteries of ancient Egypt, feel free to throw that in their face. So was Isaac Newton, and he's like the smartest man in history. So, again, suck on that, King Charles. (laughs) (laughs) We're just blaming everything on King Charles. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Isaac Newton was English. I didn't know who else to blame. And I don't know who was the king or queen at the time, because I am not a history buff. So, sorry about it. And I am less of one, so everyone who's <laughs> shouting at us right now, that's not what this podcast is about, Tough and titty. kindly refrain. Thank is you. it in my notes? No? Then I don't know it. <laughs> we had to look up phosphorus last we week. We had to look up if phosphorus... <laughs> was in light bulbs, if, okay? If was in light bulbs, and if P directly affected the light bulb, okay? All right? So, specifically, he was studying ancient Egypt's writings on alchemy and... The cubit, which was a unit of measurement they used to build the pyramids. He believed that these studies would enable him to figure out the exact dimensions of other ancient structures that no longer stand. In particular, he was attempting to map out the dimensions of the Temple of Solomon because he thought it would be the key to understanding the biblical apocalypse. This all sounds like ancient aliens, and I'm here for it. Seriously. I'm here for it amazing i love that it was like nothing is off limits like i want to look into everything that history has told us like all of this is going to give me clues of things that i need now i said newton was a devout christian but he was unorthodox his religious beliefs were very open but that's not something he could be very open about at the time because he could have lost everything he definitely wouldn't have been knighted or served at parliament so very true To the outside word, he was a devout Christian, but in his writings, some of which we are still discovering as late as 2005, we see that he actually had a very scientific view of God. Okay. The reason that he was so interested in alchemy was that he truly believed that alchemy could demonstrate that there was some kind of universal spirit which caused the diversity of creation to come into being. Literally, he thought alchemy could prove the existence of God. Oh, my. Okay. Here for it. Here to learn. In one of his works, he wrote, Have not the smallest particles of bodies, certain powers, virtues, or forces, by which they act at a distance, producing a great part of the phenomena of nature? For it's well known that bodies act upon one another by the attractions of gravity, magnetism, and electricity, and these instances show the tenor and course of nature and make it not improbable, but that there may be more attractive powers than these. And I think it's wild he was writing this in the 1700s, hundreds of years before string theory and quantum mechanics, which we now are proving uh, to be true the fact that every single thing is connected this dude just got it he was so ahead of his time like he he just knew he knew what was happening around him but again i will say it's because he was studying every part of the world and of Mm -hmm. existence and of people and like our beliefs i feel like he was 
he was leaving no stone unturned. Is that yeah? The, is that no, the phrase? no cubit unturned. <laughs> no cubit unturned. Like he he was open to everything, whether it be religious, scientific, anything. And I I love that because I think that is why he had such a fully formed understanding of the world and of how things worked. That's why he is one of the most brilliant minds, everybody. Yeah, and it goes back to, you know, what we were saying in last week's episode. Alchemy is not just turning silver into gold. It's the idea that, like, we are God. We are the universe. Mm -hmm. We are a small microcosm of a macrocosm and that everything we do, everything we change, changes everything. It's basically, alchemy is basically adding spirituality to science because the science is real. The science is inarguable, but it doesn't disprove God. Mm-hmm. it's the right. magic of the universe um and so isaac newton smartest man in history <laughs> mm-hmm. believed this yes. and i believe this yeah am i the smartest woman in the universe i mean i i feel like i've called you that before <laughs> in conversation <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah it's i think it's so cool that he he was a brilliant man who gave us so much of the scientific foundation we use today and so many mm-hmm. of the scientific theories we use today, yet it was also like, hey, but let's look at the universe and our spiritual growth and all of these things that connect He's us a and the consciousness. Yeah, he, guys, he would listen to Keep It Weird. He's he would totally listen to Keep It Weird. <sighs> He's a weirdo. He's one of us. It just makes me so one happy. Of one of us. Who'd you bring today? I brought a lady. To the table. I love it. I love Indeed. it. I love it. Again, we touched on this a little in last week's episode, but a lot of famous alchemists, historical alchemists, brilliant minds were female, were women. All the alchemy ladies? No. <laughs> Wait, what was just happening to you? What was about to come out of you? <laughs> I was trying to think of a good, like, all the silver ladies. All the silver ladies, oh. all the oh, silver the alchemy ladies. ladies, all the silver ladies. But alchemy just did not work. It's it, too it many syllables. Yeah, it's a lot. It, it doesn't quite slide in there the way we want it. No, but uh, I did, yeah, I did my best. Um, there was a woman named Mary or Miriam. She has several names that she's known. Mary or Miriam, the Jewess. Oh, was the. What I know, Jewess. We're, we're using the term. That is her. That is how she's known. Was she Jewish? She was. Oh, okay, okay. Thank goodness. (laughs) Otherwise, it's like, oh, well, were you trying to, what were you trying to do here? No, she was. So Mary the Jewess was the first known alchemist in history, it is said. She lived in Egypt. It all comes back to Egypt, ladies and gentlemen. And invented processes and apparatuses that were used for centuries and centuries after that. And again, as with everything, led to so much more scientific discovery. And her story became something of a legend in later Arabic and Christian writings. And she has so many variations of her story, including some people who don't even believe she existed and is more of an idea, just saying that women are important in the world of alchemy and science, but that I'll get to that a little bit. But Mary the Jewess was known as the first alchemist, an amazing alchemist, and an inventor who just had phenomenal ideas. She is also known as Maria, Maria Prophetess, Miriam Maria, the Prophet. Maria, 
So was it one Maria or two? You know what? It was just one Maria, but what? You know what? So there's so many variations of her story. Ashley and I are going to make our own variation where she is Maria, Maria. She's Maria, Maria. She's the alchemy queen. Okay. Maria, prophetisma. Sure. Maria the prophetess, Miriam the prophetess, Maria the sage, Mary the prophetess, Mary the Jewess, Miriam the Jewess, like all of these different variations. Um, But she appears in so many texts, in so many different languages, in so many translations. She's known as like the mother, the goddess of all things alchemy. And one of the first people to write about her was 4th century alchemist Zosimos of Panopolis, which is a very famous alchemist apparently with many writings out there, who called her the sister of Moses and Mary the Jewess and is the main source of what we know or can pretend to know about this person. Okay. So Mary and her alchemical contributions are documented by Zosimos in several texts of his, and he talks about furnaces and apparatuses and how they all came from her. And he also quotes her extensively in this manuscript called The Coloring of Precious Stones, which he attributes basically everything he discovered in his life of alchemy. He gives everything to her that he learned from her he worked that is so based on her findings cool i know because like, he you're easily the could have been like i did this it was all this me. was mine yeah it was all me Look maria at me. who <laughs> <laughs> maria maria who i don't know her exactly but no gives everything to her and is like this she came up with it all and according to zosimus and later renderings of maria's writings Alchemy was like sexual reproduction with Mm. different metals being male and female. And she liked to describe the oxidation of metals and saw in the process of mixing them possibly the transforming of base metals into gold. And one of the biggest sayings credited to Mary is, join the male and the female and you will find what is sought, which is used by somebody that we have referenced many times, Carl Jung. Hey, okay. Yeah, she was quoted, Mary the Jewess, which, yeah, was Carl said, yep. She, yeah, she, gave she was me, onto something. She was real. She was onto something. She gave me this quote. So, yeah, again, it's like she she is credited in a lot of people's minds, but there is there's controversy about her. But can you imagine being like, obviously, I, you know, I don't know what happens after death. But, like, say, like, we reincarnated, say we were able to, like, bring people back from the dead that have been dead for however many years, and we brought this woman back, and we're like, look at the world today, look at your contributions. Do you think she'd be like, holy shit? Or do you think she'd be like, uh, yeah, I was a boss bitch? I want to believe she'd be the second choice. I yeah, want to believe she'd, she'd be like, like um, yes, yeah, why duh. do you think I work so hard? I to tried give to you freaking tell you. <laughs> all the cool shit you have. I gave you every tool you could have ever needed and <laughs> I knew that and I fought for it that honestly I think that is how she yeah would be. I, I like to think that too <laughs> yeah so I just thought that was cool that people were you know quoting her and using her work and actually giving her the credit which is awesome but the name of Mary survives in two terms used in chemistry today that are important the first is the water bath which is a term used for both a process and a device and is also called the Bain Marie or Bagno Maria. 
And the term is still used in cooking today, which I don't know if I've ever heard it called a water bath, but I've definitely heard of an ice bath where you drop like cooked green beans into an ice bath so that they'll stop cooking at a faster rate. I don't know if it's that same idea. Maybe everyone is yelling at me saying that's not (laughs) anything that we're talking about, Lauren. But um, this idea, the Bain Marie, the Bagno Maria, uses heat from water and a surrounding vessel to keep a consistent temperature. It is something like a double boiler. And this was totally her idea, her creation. She was the start of this. Hmm. And then the other term that is used is called Mary's Black, And it is a black sulfide coating on metal, which is produced using the process of kirotakis, which is just apparently a way of distilling or purifying something, uh, which, again, is a huge part of alchemy. And Mm -hmm. Mary was a huge part of, you know, making the foundations of this. But the term Mary's black was kind of given to her for this coating that goes on the metal. And then also the double boiling term. The little, I love it. Yeah, the little water bath. And also she it invented and, you know, described in the manuscripts that we found this apparatus, this alchemical macro apparatus called the <laughs> all the words there were a lot of things we are that's me really musical today we are but i you know that i enjoy you're that usually one. musical yeah that's you're usually usual. the musical one but i'm really i'm i'm getting into it I like that you're here for it. And honestly, the Macarena tune was perfect for what I've been trying to say. Because I was like, Kiro Takis a second ago. I have no <laughs> idea. So another word I can't say, the tribokos, which is a Greek term, which is basically a purifying tool. Again, it all came down to distilling, purifying, changing, all the things with alchemy. Uh, she is credited as inventing and describing in her manuscripts this tool, the Trabocos. It had three arms, and it was used to obtain substances purified by distillation. Um, it is not known whether Mary officially invented it. She, mm-hmm. It seems that she did based on the writings that we've seen, but Zosimos, again, credits the instrument to her even if another person kind of took her idea and ran with it she did all of the research that led to it and it is still a tool used today in chemistry labs to you know retrieve things from certain substances after they are purified or you know whatever it may be so very cool she's still created or helped to create things that are around today and Even though there are so many variations of her origins and official stories, including some that theorize Miriam or Mary is a completely fictional person, and the name is meant to symbolize the group of female alchemists who worked in the world of distilling and fermenting and were the first to ferment beer, it is said that Miriam was just kind of the name they all gave themselves. That could also be true, but either way... I love this story because yeah. whether whether she's real or not, this is what gave the females their platform and her name paved the way for all of the female alchemists to come forward and to be respected and again, like sought after by the males as well and brought into the lab to be at the forefront of all of this discovery. And of course, fermenting and distilling and this creation of alcohol was all discovered through alchemy and it was most likely used 
uh, or was most likely created using an apparatus created by Mary or this group of females and could be responsible for the alcoholic creations that you enjoy in your life. Wow. What? And there she is. Mary, Queen of Cocktails. Mary, Queen of Cocktails. I like that. I like it a lot. God bless her. I So (laughs) my next person, I need you to understand how my jaw was on the floor last week when you were talking about Nicholas Flamel. I've already taken these notes, so I would have added in some, you know, lines about how it's similar to that story, but... (sighs) Oh, I'm excited and scared. This is wild. Like the the parallels to his story and that of Joseph Smith. Oh my gosh, Joseph <laughs> Smith. I, so, I can't believe there is involvement here. Okay. All I right. can't either. So <laughs> there's a fascinating theory. That Joseph Smith and his gold plates were an act of alchemy. Now, I didn't even think of the gold plates. I was like, how? How is there <laughs> how? What are we talking okay. about? Okay. I myself don't believe this simply because I'm not a believer in the Church of Latter-day Saints. However, I do think it's a very fascinating story. And I know we have Mormon listeners. So this one's for y'all. And we're going in with an open and mind. And also, now that I know about Nicholas Flamel, I can't believe I took these notes randomly to um, bring to this episode. So my gosh, for anyone who doesn't know, the story of Joseph Smith is that he was led to gold plates on September 22nd, 1823 in Manchester, New York. He used those plates, translated them rather, to write the Book of Mormon. He obtained the testimonies from 11 men who said that they had seen the plates. And uh, these men are known as the Book of Mormon Witnesses. And then after the translation was complete, he returned the plates to the angel so that they could never be examined. So essentially, a being or an angel or something came to oh. him and led him to these this discovery to these plates gold that plates. he needed to translate. Oh, is Nicholas right? Are Nicholas and Joseph just the same? Are they the same guy? Are they just the same? Reincarnation wise, are they the same? I've never believed in Joseph Smith more than this moment right now. Right? I could be convinced. Like something's happening. Now, a lot of people point to the fact that, you know, he returned the plates in the end so they could never be examined as, you know, they point to that and they go like, wow, likely story. Oh, I gave them back. I don't have them anymore. Whoops. But (laughs) a lot of modern Mormons also believe that this is an allegory, much like the thousands of allegories that Catholics and Christians have in the Bible. That the golden plates were not physical plates, but golden nuggets of wisdom bestowed upon him by the angel or the being or whatever. And therefore, Joseph Smith's bringing forth of the Book of Mormon can be viewed as an act of alchemy. And as a man, his interests did include treasure digging, folk magic, hermetic traditions, which is essentially the occult. Mm -hmm. And he sought to bring the gold plates of his visions into the material reality and in the process discovered the true gold was within himself, a.k.a. the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, my goodness. 
the AKA. philosopher's stone. He reached the enlightenment, the the heavenly bliss. Flamel part two. Oh my gosh, that is wild. Joseph himself, um, you know, the teachings of uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints, wanted to transform human consciousness from heavy ego and materialistic and today consumer-driven, etc., into a pure and perfected state of consciousness and being that finds eternal life in God, which is also a form of alchemy, the transformation totally. of self, of soul. Yep. It's um, very spiritual. They're it's all connecting. That that's pretty much the whole story. I just knew I had for some reason when I was reading that I was like I got to bring this, and now I'm so glad I did after I heard your <laughs> especially piece after last, last week. week. That it's is wild. insane. Now I'm like, are they just different translations of each other? Like, right. I'm so blown away. There's an entire paper on this. It's a really really fascinating read. It's called The Book of Mormon as Literal Alchemy: Joseph's Magnum Opus and the Philosopher's Stone by Bryce Hammond. If you can find it, if you could find it, you can. You can find it <laughs> online. It really really made me interested in the Mormon faith. It's obviously not my faith, not my religion, but it's a fascinating belief system. If you can totally. separate the church from their iffy past, as if all other religions don't have an iffy past. This is just totally. a newer religion, so their bad deeds are fresh. We're saying that about every religion. <laughs> yeah. Literally no religion has a squeaky clean past. Every single totally. one of them is, is filled with dirt. So actually, oh, 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 another Church oh. of Latter-day Saints announcement. I just read this today. Hold on. Oh, my. Uno momento. This is exciting. you with all the Mormon news. Huge news. The Mormon Church, uh, Church of Latter-day Saints, has announced its support for the Respect for Marriage Act, which would codify same-sex marriage into federal law. Wow. Statement from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints says church doctrine on marriage will remain unchanged, but the bill is the way forward to respect religious freedom while persevering the rights of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. That is amazing. That is how you do organize religion. That's right. Huge, huge respect for that. Because that is religious freedom is what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Nobody has to agree on everything. Of course not. Our world will never do that. We all know that. We're all fighting constantly. It is the respect for everybody else and the allowance for everybody to believe what the hell they want. Literally, like, I don't even know a religion that says in their religious text that uh, as a part of their doctrine is that you that other people have to believe that way. Right. Like that is not in any religious text, even the extremist religions. That's not in the text. It's just you need to believe that way. And and behave this way and do these things to get eternal life. And, you know, pass on the word. Pass on the word of Christ. Pass on the teachings. But it's none of it says you have to make everyone else believe the same way you Force do. everyone around you to do this. And yet there yeah. are so many religions that behave that way. Yeah, where it's like just spewing hatred for... Anyone who thinks differently than them. Because I even think of evangelical Christians whose mission it is to, you know, bring people into the church and preach the good word. But no part of that says, and then persecute the people who do not believe. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, do your best to bring them in and, you know, share your ideas. But then if they disagree, like, on to the next, love them as your brother and sister and blah, blah, blah. The only 
belief systems in which it is like written into the text that you should persecute or act upon people leaving the church, leaving the organization or not joining the organization are cults. Oh, yeah. And MLMs. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. So MLMs are so dangerous. Like they're they, cults. That's all they are. They're just cults. I mean, they are. Like we're tiptoeing around it. They are cults. But it's like, yeah, the second somebody leaves, it's trash talk. Dismiss mm-hmm. them. Cut them out from your life. Make sure everybody else cuts them out. It is especially if they talk negatively about the business. Oh, I know. It's wild. You will be under attack. Yes. Anyway, we can um, move on. No, but that I is thought that, was that is so very cool. Yeah. That is very fascinating. I cannot believe the cl- the connections with well, and now Nicholas I wonder, and Joseph Smith. Now that I know about Nicholas, I want to kind of go back into my research and see, did Joseph, Joseph Smith study Nicholas's teachings? And was he sort of just taking, taking that, that storyline a little bit? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I want to know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know enough, yeah, but. It'll require a bit more research, but that is, it's so interesting regardless. Oh my goodness. Yes. Okay. Well, Alchemy and Joseph Smith never thought I would make (laughs) the connection. Um, I have brought another female. I I did Lady Power today. I told Ashley when we were kind of talking about different alchemists and historical people we could talk about, I was like, I found some cool ladies. So According to ancient records, a physician, an alchemist named Cleopatra, not to be confused with the famous Egyptian queen, a different Cleopatra. Cleopatra. The Cleopatra, different one. But the Cleopatra was also interested in science, which I think is very cool. But different Cleopatra. Uh, She was one of the students of Miriam or Mary the Jewess, so a little connection there, um, using her works and kind of building upon them, and simply known in history as Cleopatra the Alchemist. You don't really find more of a name. It's just Cleopatra the Alchemist, which also just feels badass and awesome. Um, She improved upon Miriam's double boiling idea. And invented something called the alembic, which was used, or alembic, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, which was used for distilling liquid. And she was also apparently very interested in the science behind reproduction and Mm. studied that heavily. And she lived during the last remarkable period in Alexandria. I feel like we mentioned that either this episode or last, where there was a time of open-minded science study and scientists being able to just declare their ideas and not be persecuted or, you know, questioned for them. This was a magical time where both males and females could have those open minds and theories and ideas and just be a true scientist. So she was able to live during that time, thank goodness, and it brought forth so many cool ideas. And at the time... Alchemists believed in the idea of homunculus, and this was a creature made from human bodily fluids, as we discussed before. A whole lot of pee and fluids and blood and things mixed with dirt or clay, 
And some of the basis behind this idea was the misunderstanding that sperm contained homunculi, which was Mm -hmm. a fully formed human being, only super tiny. And that obviously ended up not being true. The sperm and the egg have to come together. But some alchemists believed that homunculi simply needed a woman's womb to grow, but that men were fully capable of creating human life without women's help. You fucking wish. I know, right? And many male alchemists believe that if they succeeded in creating a homunculi, it would have special powers because it would not be polluted by females. Oh, so okay. So as much as I want to <laughs> praise a lot of the male alchemists who were open-minded and worked with females and actually like wanted the woman's opinion, there was still a of gross... <laughs> I mean, with all men. Yeah, like, sorry about it, but with... All men, they're just, there's going to be that group, the toxic masculinity, where they were like, uh, we don't need you. You're actually ruining everything for us. And it turns out, we now know, that women can create life without a man. Isn't it funny that it was just the opposite? At all. (laughs) We just need, we can find what we need to make a human in the bone marrow of women. And so we don't need men at all. Suck it, and just King remember Charles. <laughs> suck it, King Charles. We can do everything. We can do anything. Without you and without men. Without you um, and you and you. You and you. <laughs> so that was the belief going on with these idiots. And <laughs> that is why um, Cleopatra got so involved in the world of reproduction was like, I'm pretty sure you're way off. So I'm going to keep studying this. And especially as a female alchemist, it was so important to her and reproduction was just something fascinating and big on her radar. And she felt as though maybe this whole homunculus theory was flawed. And of course, she was correct and had a very scientific mind and was way ahead of her time, just as we were saying earlier about, I mean, I know this is like a totally different area of science, but with Isaac Newton, where there were just some people who were like, no, I... I think I understand how this works and you are so far off, but no one in her case was listening to her because she was a woman. And these idiot men were like, nope, we want nothing to do with you. Nope. Our jizz is magic. Our jizz does it all (laughs) and we don't need you. So step aside, lady. Luckily, there were the good, open-minded, willing to make a team effort male alchemists who were willing to work with her and also groups of women. And she you know, was able to collaborate and do a lot of cool stuff in her day. And a copy of her own magnum opus still exists in the world. The, another word I can't say, Chrysopia of Cleopatra or Cleopatra's gold making, as it is translated to, is basically her life's work and purportedly a coded guide to making the Philosopher's Stone. She is credited as being one of four female alchemists who was able to create such a substance like the Philosopher's Stone, something, you know, to bring you that fountain of youth, to bring you possible immortality. She is credited as being one of the few. And also the true science of making gold and everything that she was doing is in 
this in this book, her magnum opus. So wow. that's really cool to like see her studies still out there in the world. It's like she existed. She's not as much of a a rumor of an idea. It's like, nope, she did her thing. And it is preserved on a single sheet of papyrus, this uh, Chrysopoeia of, Cle- of Cleopatra. Cleopatra's gold making is currently being held in the Netherlands at Leiden University. And it is notable for being one of the earliest scientific texts ever authored by a woman. Wow. And due to so many attempts trying to crack Cleopatra's mysterious and complicated code that she made for the Philosopher's Stone with her drawings and symbols, um, that is why she kept everything so hidden away and so, you know, put in her special coding because everybody was trying to come for her and take credit. But every attempt has been unsuccessful. And there is no doubt that she was way, way smarter than everyone around her and that every decision she made was totally, you know, deliberate. She did everything with intention. She knew exactly what she was doing, which I just love. And uh, yeah, she was in Alexandria, this like bustling hub of, scholars and competition and lots of intellectuals who wanted to get their hands on her writings but she she kept it to her own and went down in history as you know being one of the greatest minds of all time and whether she found the philosopher's stone or not her work is immortalized maybe that is the philosopher's stone right having your work your legacy isaac newton is immortal in the sense that people will know his name forever Forever. until, you know, we're destroyed by climate change or, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like when the world's destroyed, like maybe we won't know his name, but like, right. He's, he, he and his discoveries are immortal. Like they live on forever. Exactly. And yeah, that's the same with Cleopatra. Like that, she is immortal in her own way. You know, we have this, we have this piece of papyrus detailing everything that she did. And we have enough records of her that it's like, Oh, you, you were immortal in your own way. Is that the philosopher's stone? That's the magic of it all. I think it would be sacrilege if we don't at least mention Mr. Sex magic himself, Alistair Crowley. (laughs) (laughs) sex magic himself let's go i've been wanting to do a full episode on alistair crowley for years but it's just one of those Mm -hmm. things where it's like i want to read a book on him and do like a report i don't want to just give you what you can find on on an article online yeah Yeah. so i promise you i will bring you a detailed life of alistair crowley next year but love it for now we'll just talk about um alchemy so Alistair was working his magic at a time when agnosticism was prominent, but we were on the verge of a major moment in history. It was a time of economic growth following the French Revolution, and people were turning away from the church's ideas of creationism. So this was a a major time for spiritualism, mesmerism, clairvoyance, Christian science. The occult in general was rising during the course of this century, the century being the 1800s. And alchemy was no stranger to these circles. In fact, this might be alchemy's most shining era. The amount (laughs) of people performing uh, alchemy at this time is wild. Here for it. 
In the late 1800s, a secret society developed known as the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And if that sounds familiar to you, it might be because last week's Tarot Tuesday, um, Mm -hmm. I posted something about the Hermetic uh, Order of the Golden Dawn. It was founded by three Freemasons, and it literally was just a place where these people could do rituals and perform magic. They studied astrology, read tarot cards, they taught scrying, they supposedly performed astral travel. Like, it was dope as hell, okay? I would have loved to have been there. (laughs) And guess who was a member? Sex magic. Alistair Crowley. Sex magic. Crowley. We love you. also members, A.E. Waite and Pamela Coleman-Smith, the creators of the Rider-Waite tarot deck. Oh. That we all have. Oh, my gosh. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who famously wrote Sherlock Holmes. Okay. And Bram Stoker, who wrote Dracula. Uh, (laughs) Pardon? (laughs) Yeah. And a ton of other influential people, actors, writers, stockbrokers, etc. Great. And Great. The coolest part, I think, about learning about alchemy and these occultist groups is not only how welcome women were in the space, as we've been talking about this episode with these wonderful ladies, but they were needed. And I don't just mean for the sex. Plenty of mm-hmm. men had sex with other men. Most of these people were bisexual. It was a yeah. literal part of their belief system, not only the equality of men and women, but the balance of the male and female energy. You, yep. to them, could not perform alchemy without, if you were a man without a woman, and if you were a woman without a man. It took... That was Mary the Jewess. That was what she was saying. It took I love the that. strength that we both, both possess. And a lot of people yeah. have called Aleister Crowley a misogynist because of the the way, the words in which he used to describe men and women, you know, things like weaker as opposed to stronger. But he himself has even said, you know, weak as in like the opposite of, like if if there's a nice way to say weak, do you know what I mean? Like if there's a nice way to say we are not physically as strong. Yeah. We are not... We are not as aggressive. We are not, Mm -hmm. we have, we are softer. We are, and of course that's different for every person, but those energies balance each other. They are different energies. It is what it is, yeah. And that doesn't mean that men can't be nurturing and women can't be aggressive. Strong, yeah. They can, um, and they are, but it's just that we are, it's a yin and yang. Mm -hmm. So anyways... What I will say about Aleister Crowley when it comes to alchemy specifically is that he claimed that he had successfully made the elusive elixir of life, the philosopher's stone. And this was known in his circles, but he only wrote a small, tiny bit about it. Um, At one point, he said he had taken seven doses of which had little to no effect on him that he could tell. But he continued to take it, positive that it would work. And during a trip from New York City back home to England, it kicked in. And he said, Hardly I had reached my hermitage before I was suddenly seized with an attack of youth in its acutest form. I turned into a mere vehicle for physical energy. It's probably best not to try and guess what was in this elixir. 
He was uh-huh. known for ingesting many, many bodily fluids. Oh, but I, yeah, he I don't want to. Never, know. that we know of at least, released his recipe. And like maybe it did Good. give him a little boost, like a shot of espresso would, but it did not, as we know, give him eternal life. But he did live to be 72 years old. See? Even though he had been a heroin addict for almost a decade. That's impressive. It is. That's what I'm saying. We we talked about that in episode one. These people who, like, it was unheard of at that time to live that long. You're kind of yeah. like, mm, well, were you onto something? Like, I mean, it was maybe? not that long ago that the average, like, human being lived to 35. Right. <laughs> like, it really wasn't so that long ago. So who are these ago. 70 and 80-year-old men who were also probably ingesting some drugs? Like, what? Okay, so or maybe there is something to semen. bodily fluids, but also, I don't want to know. I don't want to do it. Believers in Crowley and his work will be the first to tell you, though, that he did not fail. Because after all, alchemy is much more than the physical transformation of metals. The laws of physics cannot be broken. Our human bodies are vessels for our true essence, our souls. The work he was doing, also known as the great work, was designed to help you build your after-death vehicle, to become enlightened, to construct your soul in a way that you are able to navigate the afterlife. It's a very Buddhist way of looking at our purpose here on Earth and what is waiting for us afterwards. Absolutely. And that's all I'll say on Aleister Crowley for now. Well, yeah, for now, yeah, being the, now. the operative term there, boys, there are a lot to say. <laughs> so much more to learn, which I love, like that you're about to do your deep dive study. But yeah. That's awesome. I have some like quickie honorable mentions I can throw in. So there was a manuscript called Experiments written in the 1400s and an alchemist named Katarina Servoza wrote that she discovered something called talc water, which you all may have heard of. Yeah. Talc and talcum, talcum powder. powder and yeah. Um, she discovered talc water and it was supposedly able to make a 60 year old woman look like she was 20. And she also claimed a 60, 60 year old woman (laughs) looked like she was 20. You said six year old woman looked like she was 20. And I was like, uh, cool. (laughs) If you've ever had a kid who you wanted wanted to to age rapidly. Boy, do I have an elixir for you. I cannot imagine a situation where that would be needed. Nothing legal. You never know. Basically, this was the first anti-aging, which that was part of the reason I thought it was fascinating was, hey, I've created this talc water. Uh, If you're 60, you're going to look like you're 20 again, ready to get your youthful skin. And she also claimed that the same water would turn silver into gold and cure the plague. Again, on the hunt for the Philosopher's Stone. So she spent most of her lifetime practicing alchemy. She wrote her findings in a manuscript, and she wasn't trying to get her work published, but she personally wanted to figure out the secrets to health and youth and financial success. So she would hang out at the local apothecary, asking questions, learning as much as she could about pharmacology, and her main interest was, can't hate on the girl for this. Again, I get Botox. She was really interested in anti-aging potions and medicines that could cure illness and prove to be fruitful with longevity of life and whatnot. And she, of course, wanted to become a little bit rich because, you know, who doesn't? Who doesn't? 
Um, she was able to pass on the results of her findings to her son, who practiced alchemy as well. And then Katerina's grandchildren began the famous House of Medici, which possessed tremendous power in banking and politics and basically had a very wealthy, wealthy and like celebrity type life. Wow. So again, you look at her and say, did you figure something yeah. out? No, we didn't. Um. Yeah, so she's an interesting one. And then there was a another Marie, a woman named Marie. What? Marie. Marie. Marie Murdoch was born into a French noble family during the reign of Louis the is it sixteenth? I always have to take a minute to look at it. Yes, X X Louis sixteenth. Yep. While other members of French no nobility were partying endlessly, it was drugs, sex, alcohol at Versailles, like Amen. all about it. Let's do it. Um, but Marie was better than the rest of us. She was more interested in studying the science of alchemy. And rather than getting away with scandals, all Marie asked of the king was to help her build a laboratory that would contain a furnace that could heat up hotter than the legal limit. Little science nerd Marie. <laughs> and she focused on the three basic substances, salt, sulfur, and mercury, and did experiments on animals, which I know we all have our thoughts on today, but like we, we got to let it slide for this time. She was studying. Let it slide for Marie. <laughs> um, she did experiments on animals and would also create products that were meant to enhance beauty and anti-aging. And she was very humble in her writings, explaining that she only felt comfortable publishing the experiments, which she had tested multiple times and had full confidence that the results were true. She would never just publish her theories, which respect. Yeah. And she also goes on to explain that she held on to her finished manuscript for two years because men always told her that she was stupid and she should never boast when she thinks she has knowledge of something. <laughs> but finally, after two years of being talked down to, she found the courage to submit her book for publication when she realized that men and women are the same and that the mind has no sex, which she has been quoted as saying many times in her manuscripts. And after she became known as an expert in alchemy, she began to hand out free medicine to the poor and wrote a second book called Useful and Easy Chemistry for the Benefit of Ladies. Wow, I love her. And just like snaps for a queen. Snaps for a queen. What, what, <laughs> uh, when was she alive? What, what era? The reign of Louis Oh, this the was during Versailles. The, Party yeah, time in yeah, Versailles. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> okay, I remember now. Yeah, which I just love. Like, again, it's kind of what we've been saying this whole time is that alchemy spans across all this time oh. and has changed in many, yeah. many ways. But it's basically just brilliant scientists and alchemists, like, putting things together, understanding the world a little bit better mm -hmm. and... And yeah, passing on their knowledge. Yeah, I'm taking things apart and putting them back together. Yeah, breaking it down and re repiecing it together as something new and transformed. Yeah, I mean, we still do that today with mm -hmm. science and math. It's taking, you know, a formula and breaking it down to its basic parts and then reformulate. You know what I mean? Like, yep. alchemy is not this magical, mystical thing, but there is a magical, mysti mystical element to it. Right. It is sort of chicken and the egg. I mean, it's not really chicken and the egg. It definitely started with people attempting to make gold 
to that's all what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah, to it live. Was like how, you know? It was a get-rich-quick scheme. It really honestly. was. It was like, get-rich-quick Everyone quick still scheme. has those to this day. Get-rich-quick. And then, but look what but it But it changed the world. Into. It changed the it entire did. world. We wouldn't have, apparently, according to fucking you last week, we wouldn't have anything. <laughs> yeah. If it wasn't The for scientific alchemy. discoveries were, like, laughable. Where yeah. I was like, what? And that all just happened because it was like, oh, I mixed these things and this happened. Yeah. I was like, what? All those poisonings in ancient China and India were worth it. <laughs> Goodness. It's it's a cool, fascinating so cool. world. I'm so glad, so glad we did this episode. Me too. I have all, all of your new knowledge. Requests, listeners. I felt like so many people were like, Alchemy, please. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I don't know what that is. Okay. Yeah. I feel like every time Leave I read it, I was like <laughs> I was like, it's not witchcraft, so like, what exactly is it? But no, I know so much more. So thank you, everyone. Yeah, thank you so much. And and I, this is probably a good time just to throw this in. Like, if you ever have a suggestion for an episode or if there's ever anything you want to know more about, let us know. Like, send us a DM. Please. We are open to all suggestions. We We keep them all. They're always, like, if you've sent us a suggestion, I guarantee it's in a folder somewhere. It's waiting for us to get to that episode. Oh, yeah. But it's really away. anything. Like, we, we want to learn and we want to share our new knowledge with you. So, um, Which includes not if your state or if you're in a different country, if your country in a specific city that you're in has not yes. been mentioned on hometown haunts, yeah. that is also open because I feel like every once in a while we get somebody who's like, man, you have not covered this crazy story from my home state and like you have no idea what's brewing. I'm like, why haven't we done this? So I know. After send a lot our, of that um, as well. Uh, episode last week, we had someone write in at Nafzal9 on Instagram. She wrote in and gave us a very, very scary story from a time that she uh, took a trip to Singapore. So yeah, we love it. We want to hear your stories. We want to hear about um, where you live and the weird stuff that's going on there. But that is all the time we have this week for Keep It Weird. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Next week, I believe, this is three weeks from now, so forgive me if I'm wrong, but I believe we will not only have a guest, but we'll also be doing our only hometown haunts of the season, WTF. What? Yeah, what's what's what our happened? problem? <laughs> what have we been doing? I think it's because this year started like a week ago and now it's over. So Yeah, I'm, I don't know what time is. I'm on I'm Struggle sorry. Street. Sorry about it. Yeah. Hometown haunts. In the meantime, though, please follow us on social media at Keep It Weirdcast. Donate to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Keep It Weird Podcast. And grab yourself a t-shirt, hoodie, or tank top from our merch store by visiting keepitweirdpodcast.com slash merch. I actually think that maybe this could be the last week to order if you want it to ship in time to be there by Christmas. So get on that if you want to buy one of your weirdo friends a weirdo gift. Our sign off today is that belch <laughs> that alchemical belch that came from the depths that alchemical burp what is uh, our screw you king charles suck it I don't know. king charles suck it. <laughs> i was trying to think of the term we suck were it. saying i was like it wasn't screw you suck it suck um, it king charles yeah why not i mean here's the thing uh, have you watched the crown yet Yes. Okay. Um, I mean, I have. I'm only two episodes in of this new season. The new season of The Crown is out. That's our sign off. We head to Netflix. The <laughs> new season of The Crown is out now. Season five. 
suck at King Charles. Long live, and long live the queen. And long live the queen. And keep it weird. So I think it will go me, you, me, yeah. you, me, you. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Ready? You're ready. You better be. We've been recording for 45 <laughs> seconds. So.